Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. Well, that means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Get it started. This week, uh, over, I think it was probably a couple weeks now, actually, uh, Sean, you, you, uh, found, found a, a couple, I guess, articles that, that, uh, made you quite angry in the, the, well, maybe not angry, but it related to the culinary world that piqued your interest and you made a point to share with Max and I. Yeah, I would say I, they didn't make me angry. I would say they actually, uh... Uh, they made me happy um, because I agreed with them. Uh, and the so, Drew McGarry wrote a, a piece for for Deadspin about ten days ago called "Down with Chef Worship." Yeah, uh, which relates to something he wrote all the way back in 2014 called "Down with Runway Food." Be careful um, with the way you say "all the way back in 2014." <laughs> I know, forever and ever ago. Yeah. Um, Back when I was in college, or you guys, well, I wasn't, but you might have, you two might have been out by then, actually. We were, we were, no, we were about two weeks from, uh, from walking the lawn. Nice. Um, so, the, the impetus for the chef worship piece, which is, was my way into this. Yeah. Um, was it, uh, this guy, Rene Redzepi, uh, opened a pop-up restaurant in uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rene Redzepi is uh, sort of widely agreed to be the best, most interesting chef in the world. And uh, uh, so, so this, is, this is how McGarry opens up. He says, last month, celebrated Danish chef Rene Redzepi opened a pop-up restaurant in Tulum, Mexico. Uh, this restaurant will only be open for seven weeks. Uh, dinner costs six hundred dollars and lasts well past midnight. You will not eat at this restaurant. You will not even come close to ever being able to eat at this restaurant. Yet critics went anyway, and shockeroo, they really enjoyed themselves. Redzepi's fellow chefs also made the pilgrimage because the high-end food industry now is just apparently a roving club of people waxing poetic over their ability to shamelessly indulge one another. So, there's a lot there. But the the basic gist is that at sort of the top end of the food spectrum, uh, it's become a, a sort of a different world where chefs are basically just kind of cooking for themselves and each other. Um, yeah. And... You know, it, it's something that we've talked about a little bit uh, amongst ourselves, and and had some some differing opinions on. So I'll I'll maybe kick it off by saying I agree with this take pretty wholeheartedly. Um, I I I think that you know it it strikes me that um. Uh, you know the the chef as artist movement um thanks sort of treats food like something that's not food 
um, and and you know maybe when you're making a gas bubble full of salmon smoke, um, you know you're See, not eating that and getting any nutritional like you you don't get any nutritional value out of it. Yeah. So there's a point at which it becomes something for I think the I think the words he uses are uh, dickhead experience collectors. Yeah, I mean, um. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I do want to say something. You're laughing at the smoke thing. Uh, I am. I consider myself very fortunate to have to been to some very nice, like, not even very nice is the wrong term that, that undersells it. Some excellent restaurants that I will never probably be able to go to again. Um, mm-hmm. Some years ago, and one of the dishes that they they brought out was, I believe it was. It's been a while, but um, I believe it was like bass or something. And it was kind of, or I believe it was halibut actually. And it was like in this little, almost like this glass like container or like a test tube almost that had been turned upside down. And they they took off the the top, and it was it was like kind of cooked in its own smoke. So it was kind of a gas bubble. There was actual food in there. It wasn't just a bubble, but the the gas was was the smoke was involved. Um, you mentioned the art thing, and I think Max, that's something that jumped out to you, did it not? It definitely did, yeah. I think that, I think it's good to appreciate food for being more than what you'd say just food. I mean, going back to that, I mean, do you think that eating in a restaurant is more than just the food? Does the experience and the decor and the service not not play into how much you enjoy the the experience? This is a thing that we as a group have talked about many times before, um, and and I think that I am a person for whom... Uh, of the three of us, the non-food elements of the restaurant experience factor in by far the least. See, and, and my mind for that changed in part because of uh, some of the nice experiences that I've had. Like restaurants that really do have exemplary service, um, you can see the difference. Like it is very much different. But I think a really good aspect of this this article uh, that you brought up is is that that is something that is just so not attainable for for ninety nine point nine percent of people I think and and that the dickhead experience maybe put a different way this obsession with exclusivity that that you you know you see and you know Sean you and I were you were uh, you had qualms earlier this week with a certain sneaker release and it's just <laughs> things are. There is a manufacturing of exclusivity. Um, right. I think that that is something that is frequently, frequently done in in the art world. Uh, there was a Jean Michel uh, Basquiat painting that was sold for one hundred ten and a half million dollars this week, yeah. which is That's the most wild. most paid ever for a uh, an American artist, which is crazy. This is someone who died almost thirty years ago at, at twenty seven, had been an artist for a couple years, but there's a certain exclusivity just given that his his range was not long all right it's a, his right. your his career was not long and there are enough people that are interested in that and it's exclusive enough that you create like oh i have a basquiat or i have been to not just a jose andres restaurant but the jose andres restaurant that's a restaurant within a restaurant which is i believe he, he in the runway food piece he puts that out there too so mm-hmm. in some ways frustrates you know it can frustrate you in the sense of jealousy because there's these are 
things not available to you, but that's kind of the way art and exclusivity seem to always work. So I'm grudgingly respectful of, of, of that. So that, I think that's a fair point. And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe some of my feeling on this is that I haven't, you know, I haven't been exposed to that level of food art, but at the same time, like, you know, I've been to, I've also been fortunate to, to experience some pretty amazing restaurants, Sure, many of which I, I would not have otherwise been able to, to visit without, um, access being granted by, you know, someone else, uh, and some of those places have been restaurants that really do the sort of ancillary elements well. Um, but I, just, I feel like for me, what I always recognize, like what I always remember is not, you know, I, I don't, when it comes down to it for me, it's just like, it's all about the food. Um, and, and I think the point, I think the point that, that, that Drew is making in the chef worship piece is that we, we, we live in a time where food sort of more broadly is going the opposite way in terms of exclusivity. Um, uh, really really great and interesting food is becoming vastly more accessible to people um, than it was, you know, 20 years ago when our parents were kids. Um, You know, the ubiquity of sushi and um, other Asian food that's not, you know, cheap Americanized Chinese food. Yeah. you know, there there weren't a lot of like, you didn't have Korean barbecue places in you know 1981, um, and I think that because of that, it's maybe easy for for it to be frustrating that the I hate to call something a space uh, that the that this part of the culture as a whole is zigging in one direction and this small subset at the very top echelon seems to be zagging in the other direction yeah i i mean one thing i think about when when you say that uh you know this stuff is is more and more available now uh one of the hottest restaurants in dc that i was able to go to i don't know like a year and a half ago now um is is bad saint which is a teeny tiny like as big as my apartment um, Filipino place, uh, and and the thing about that is it, it's not particularly expensive, and some of the dishes are really incredible to look at, but a lot of them are just like family style stuff. It's not it's not necessarily artistically presented, but I think the nice thing about that zig versus the zag of the the artful food is that it's not so much artistic as it is. This is a way to to not only have great food but to explore a culture. And, you know, a lot of places have the same 
basic ingredients, um, they just use them differently. Or, you know, we, you've, we've talked before about like the trinity of, of things that you have for, for Southern, certain Southern cooking or, Mm -hmm. um, and, but there, and I had a discussion one time with with someone about, you know, for, for Southeast Asian food, they have their own kind of trinity like that. And I think it's like garlic and chilies and, uh, ginger. And so, that is, it, it can be very simple things and it can be, you know, that's a way to see, you know, where all that comes from in different places and, you know, why do they use so much pork and we use so much beef? I think okay. that that's a cool cultural, it, it's things okay. that are approachable because you could well, do that. You just don't, you just, the way you naturally make food is, is different for whatever. But you're talking about approachability. And then talking about bad saint, a restaurant the size of your apartment. Yeah. Is that a better way to access Filipino culture than, uh, I mean, I went, uh, we're recording this on Sunday, and, and yesterday I went and had lunch. I, I got food from Little Manila, the uh, food stand at the Charlottesville Farmer's Market. And it's it's these, you know, Filipino mothers who are making food and you know it's i mean obviously they're limited by what they can prepare in the 4 hour span of a weekly farmers market but you know I'm it's less than $10 and I could talk to them if I wanted to ask questions about you know uh, how they cook uh why they do something a certain way um I think there are, I, I think there are more approachable ways than than through those types of exclusive experiences. But what I would say with that is, it becomes exclusive because of popularity. It's not, it, and and I'm not saying that you know it, it would be great if more people could have it, and there weren't people that that were paying others to wait in line for them. Same thing with you know like roses in in DC though. Um, that that's maybe slightly different, but uh, or roses luxury, I should say, I shouldn't call it roses. Um, but the the thing is, is those are exclusive because of popularity, as opposed to they're exclusive because they're ridiculously priced. Neither of those restaurants are are priced. It's not six hundred dollars. Come and see their art. It is. It's not expensive. It's just very popular. Uh, Max, you were stirring, and I didn't <laughs> want to cut you. Like, well, I'm I'm time. curious. Do you not think that the 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 this higher this this high end food kind of drives the rest of it though like were people not eating really fancy sushi fifteen years ago and that's now why we can get it on the I, corner I, of every block I, I feel like I, I that it, kind of steering the ship in a in a positive way I I, I think you know I I think of you know things that I follow a lot I, I'm on Food Fifty Two I I you know. I think Bon Appetit is not just like a, a magazine with recipes, and maybe it once used to be, but it's a it's a cultural, it's a capture. Uh, you know, there's one on right on this table about traveling for food, um, and first we feast as part of the complex media empire, and it's kind of silly, but and sometimes, but it also does really cool pieces that we'll talk about. And and lastly, I watched uh, you know uh, Wong's World today, which is on Viceland, and Viceland has like multiple shows about food which is so weird like very millennial driven um and 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 i think it that high end has inspired people who are like you know 
maybe you probably won't become that chef, but it's a different role model than Julia Child. This is someone who is a, a these are people who are stars and it's, it's cool to know stuff about food. Okay, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm willing to accept that, that that is correct, that, um, uh, there is a trickle down sort of aspect to, to to some of these things, but I would say that perhaps it's a slightly different case. Uh, between you know, sushi, you know, high end sushi places turning into broad cultural ubiquity of sushi in the United States, to me, is the it's more sort of the opening of a specific culture. And I think there's a difference between that and, and, and chefs taking, you know, some of these food cultures that already exist and, uh, preparing them in radically different ways. Some of which subvert, ideas about like what food is supposed to be and if you if you take if you take that argument that these things start at the top and then become more broadly accessible and move it forward to this uh you know i I hate to I, i feel very flippant using the the salmon smoke as an example, but I think there's a limit. I think there's a a pretty hard limit on how accessible things like that can be because there's sort of a degree of difficulty in preparation that seems like it would be a a limiting factor in, in how broadly accessible those things can really become so i think that uh, an example that comes to mind because it's something we've talked about before is is you know caffeine specifically coffee coffee as something to enjoy versus coffee is something that is a mechanism for delivering caffeine uh mm-hmm. you know challenging uh consuming or preparing challenging food is is you know, and you mentioned what food should be. Well, you know, food is food is fuel. I think first and foremost for for a lot of people. But um, yeah, and but this is this is taking you know the the challenging route. And and I think that you know you can go get uh, Vietnamese food, and I I don't know that soups or vermicelli bowls are are, nece- are necessarily challenging in the same way. But it's it's more than. It's more than just fuel because I do get pleasure out of getting that every every now and again. Um, so I, I think what I think about is I could say like, yes, you know, I'm not going to be able to do a crazy poached egg with truffle oil in it. I, I can't get those ingredients. I don't have the time. But at this, in the same breath, I have to also realize that I choose to make my coffee via slower method. And that's something that has trickled down from a more artistic um, kind of, kind of place. The other thing that I think of, and it's something I see and will consider from time to time, is the uh, current. I don't know if it's a fad or it'll probably stick around, but the people buying sous vide circulators. 
those I, I didn't know what that was until like two years ago, but it has trickled down from from very very high end kitchens and high end chefs, and there was a purpose for that for them doing it. And I was reading a bunch about it this week. Um, the average person doesn't need it, but it's it presents a new way to make something. Um, you know, your chicken can, can be completely different than it's ever been before, and so I would say like yeah, some of these things won't trickle down because they're not accessible, but. That's a prime example of something that now is somewhat affordable for people who are looking to that. Yeah, if there's a market for Seven Eleven salmon smoke, they'll figure out a way. Yeah, that's you know the market the market drives it. If there's demand to to try these things, they'll figure it out. That's very capitalistic of you. Yeah, somebody's got to do it. Well, <laughs> or we all can together. Alternatively, uh, yeah, I mean, the one thing that I, you know, we haven't got to yet, and I mentioned, you know, kind of the fame of certain uh, you know, chefs and and people who talk about chefs, and the fact that there's there was the New Yorker profile about the the food critic for uh, the New York Times, whose name I forget, but it's a really great profile. Um, it, you know, it used to be, I think that. You know, even not that long ago with someone like Emerald, it's like you wanted to get their cookbooks and try to make that food. And a lot of that food you could make. I have the um, the Nordic cookbook over there, which in many ways is history, and I don't know very much about you know living the Nordic lifestyle or the cuisine. And I've only made a couple things from it because I just don't have access to a lot of those ingredients. But for the most part, it's things, and he makes a point of this in those cookbooks, it's things that the people who live there make. The stuff Jose Andres is putting in mini bar, or the stuff uh, is it Thomas Keller at at uh, French Laundry are doing. Those yeah. are things I'm never going to be able to make because I am not an artist. Um, and so, you know, Max, I know you have the joy of cooking, and you we both appreciate that the uh, American History Museum, the Smithsonian in D.C. Uh, has Julia Child's Kitchen. That is a totally different wave of this, which is I see them doing it. I can totally do that. And you buy the cookbooks to emulate that and do it in your own home or kitchen or apartment or whatever. And I think that that was celebrity in its own way, but it's this this movement is very different. Well, I think that's why I I like I I flipped through appetites again today, um, and and was struck by how many of the things in that cookbook are meant to be they're either you know derivatives or versions of essentially street food um and and are things that are meant to be you know what i would call sort of widely accessible food yeah um though i haven't made much from that in part because buying all the ingredients some of them are quite expensive but that's true yeah you're you're right about that but i think that there i mean i guess i i really appreciate when uh some of these celebrity chefs like anthony bourdain like take their position and, and status and use it not to be exclusionary but to try to be inclusionary i i guess I, i'm not i suppose i'm not so much opposed to 
the exclusionary food as art movement as I am just like I prefer this other way. Yeah. Yeah, I sure. mean Yeah, Max. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I still think it's a little bit of like driving the the ship though. I think it all kind of helps the, the, the food culture. And like I said before, I mean foodies there's the more and more foodies we have, the more accessible these ingredients are. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, there's obviously, there's going to be some, you know, some dickheads at the top that are just kind of feeding themselves. And I don't like that, but I don't know. I, I think it's almost, um, you know, it's almost inevitable. And it's, it, it probably helps to drive food culture, which I, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, big fan of that. Well, right. you know, uh, the thing I think about is I feel like, you know, not that long ago, uh, avocados are more well known as, as guacamole fruit, um, wasn't, uh, was kind of a regional vegetable. It, it's, right. it's a vegetable, right? No, I think it a, it's a fruit. It's, no, okay. it's a fruit. It's, a, yeah. It was a regional fruit until, you know, until millennials started putting it on toast instead of buying houses as we learned this week but uh <laughs> god damn it uh no but like but in that uh in the consumer culture is such that people do care about what they eat in a way that i don't know that they they really have before um mm-hmm. you know so, soon enough i'm sure that they're going to be basically microwave dinners with really healthy stuff in them. I mean, I'm sure they already exist, or, you know, stuff that you just wouldn't really expect as opposed to just burritos and weird, you know, instant potatoes. I, I, I think you can see the change happening in real time, and I, I think in some ways that's good. It's just the underpinnings that, you know, you've pointed out and Drew McGarry pointed out with the, you know, actively pricing people away from things that could be life-altering it's right there's not really a a museum you can go to for this yeah and there and there is also a problem with that where where things like avocados or acai all of a sudden get taken up by you know wealthy hipsters in first world metropolitan areas and all of a sudden the farmers who have lived and have eaten you know quinoa take for instance uh, for generations can no longer afford to eat quinoa that's definitely an unfortunate side effect um, that shouldn't be overlooked. Yeah. But now we can eat quinoa with acai and... I don't know. I feel like quinoa is not really popping off of late. I feel like it's kind of died a little bit. It's a superfood, isn't it? I know, oh, but they're, oh, they're new you super... son of a bitch. Get out of here. They're new well, superfoods like, all the time. But I'm saying, yeah, I, I'm not using that term in a, in a positive way. Filler starch that is better for you than just rice or has more stuff in it you know it's it's hard for me to say that i'm not going to say that this is is bad i mean being celebrated for how how expensive things are i mean there was a check on that in dc there was the oh do you remember what that place was called it was in shaw it might have been it wasn't called shaw bistro but it was something like that but this guy opened this restaurant and it was like six hundred dollars per per dinner it was probably the most expensive restaurant in the city and it closed pretty quickly because people just weren't on board with manufactured exclusivity um it's only up to a point um and you know i want to celebrate people for taking risks and and doing things that are artistic um 
but I don't know. I also like a place that is accessible. Um, and, you know, I think one of the best meals I've had in the last year was I had uh, Malaysian food um, in Seattle, which was just so different and wild. And it wasn't, the place itself wasn't particularly nice, but it was really appealing because that's that's a place I don't know anything about. I don't know what their food is like, but this is a really good way to get a literal and figurative taste of that. Yeah, I, that's that's neat. I mean, I think that, you know, I guess I, I tend to, like, when I think about my favorite places to eat, I tend to gravitate towards less fancy places because I, you know, I think that, uh, I don't know, I, I, I get too wrapped up in the in the pretension that is present in a lot of haute cuisine, I feel like. Um, it's you know, it's not it's not worth it for me to criticize pretension. So <laughs> fair, <laughs> it's a fair point, and you know, I think I guess I I agree generally that it's probably good to celebrate people for taking risks in their fields. I also just want to celebrate people for making really good food. Yeah, and and if we can't, you know, if only thirty seven people can experience that great food and i'm not one of them how can i appropriately celebrate that yeah i mean a thing i think about and i kind of i think i'll maybe leave it at this is you can you can go to an open mic night and someone is you know will play guitar really well um and it but i'm also and that's very accessible but i'm also like not gonna you know the the late prince i'm not gonna criticize him for charging astronomical fees to to go to his shows because like there's a market and he's i am someone who thinks that's worth it and if someone disagrees with me like okay sure see where you're coming from but there again as max point out there's there's a market for that and you know hopefully we can get access maybe there will be cd forms of food that we can we can take sure it is unfortunate i guess when you have a room full of just food critics eating food and just who are they critiquing it for if, if we can't eat it? That That's definitely unfortunate. Um, yeah. But in general, I think we're, we're pro-food here. So yeah. um, we d- I we love do that, you know, you can go and get Vietnamese food and, and these other things that I uh, I know from, from speaking to older folks were, were not uh, around yeah. not that long ago. And that's yeah, just seriously. awesome. If you have not had Vietnamese food, like, go... Don't pause this podcast because you can keep listening to it yeah. while you drive to go get Vietnamese food. But, like, go get some Vietnamese food. It's yeah. fucking great. Yeah. Even, even like, I mean, I've probably had bad Vietnamese food, but sure, it's still really it's still really fun because it's different. Um, yeah. 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 And the fact that you can get bad Vietnamese food here, I think, is, is, is a, is a, is a sign. Yeah. That because Absolutely. when it started, it was probably just, you know, maybe this one fancy Vietnamese place. Maybe or maybe it wasn't. I'm not well, sure. It was maybe. I would think the way that stuff evolves is it's serving the the communities that that want it that immigrate probably. Yeah, and, and yeah. so that's that's where I tend to differ. I think we're pro food immigration. Yeah, I I like that method where things bubble up from Naturally the bottom, spreading as opposed to trickling down from the minds of a few great men. For sure. Um, uh, well, that, that's another link I'll make sure is there is to the the search for General So's. 
um, which is a Netflix documentary. Yeah. It's it's it kind of answers that question because um, it's really a history of Chinese food in America. Awesome. Um, so I'll have to I'll have to check that out when I'm done watching. Uh, Get me Roger Stone. Oh man, it's honestly it's fascinating. It's 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 a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah. He's abhorrent, but that that's neither here nor there right now. Um. So yeah, so if you uh, if you've got takes on chef worship, runway food, or or the like, uh, please come and find us on Facebook or Twitter at Pretty Okay Pod, and uh, tell us what you think. Um, happy to talk restaurants. Um, yeah, and in the meantime, it is time once again for Pierce to apologize. What are you sorry for this week? Okay, so this week there there are actually some. Some hard-hitting uh, uh, pieces on the internet about uh, the thing I'm apologizing for this this week. Um, so, I guess it was over two years ago now. There was in my in my former employer's office there was a coworker who uh, suggested some of us sign up for this newsletter that they were recommending to us. Um, and I'm like, yeah, sure. And they're like, you know, it provides, you know kind of a digest of the news early every morning and I get points or some, some excuse me or something for for promoting people getting people to sign up. I'm like, "Oh, that's fine. Like it's no no big deal at all." They I may or may not email. know what you're talking about. Yeah. So <clears throat> the and so I get it every morning and uh, admittedly I usually look at it because even though I try to stay connected to the news um there might be something I missed. I, I don't know. I don't know. Wait, still now or at the time? So here's the thing. I am not apologizing for signing up for the skim is what it's called. I am. No, should you? I'm apologizing because it actively frustrates me. And especially, I don't know, last summer through uh, November, uh, it actively frustrates me for two reasons. One, it's not very deep, but that's on purpose. Um, Two, and as was pointed out this week, it is on purpose very belittling to women and their intelligence because they they the way that they write things, and especially this week about Chelsea Manning, is like just it it, it rings. It's so tone deaf in so many ways, and it's it. They're like, oh, you know, for busy women, we want to explain things to them in a way they'll understand. What does that mean? That's that's not that's not really cool. And so I. But I realize I am guilty because I continue to subscribe. So I should probably unsubscribe to something that makes me actively frustrated. And so I'm sorry for not acting on my frustrations earlier. But like oh. now, now it's almost like I figure I should stay oh, and see if they so change. Classic. This is classic you. But but I I am yourself. I um, am supporting their belittling ways, uh, which they think is really cute. I, I will I will say this. I've I've grappled with this a lot over the last week or so. Um because I there was a time uh, probably 2 years ago, right around when I had just graduated from college, I guess 3 years ago. Uh when I was very much not uh attuned to what was going on in the world around me and that that publication that that newsletter really helped me uh get to a point where i am much more 
curious about what's going on and, and much more diligent about going out to find information to the point where I have unsubscribed and I I tend to go straight to the sources. Mm-hmm. And I, I so I guess I I can't really say firsthand that I understand how they've covered Chelsea Manning. Um, it was very but, it was very. It, uh, but yeah. that's that's not really what I what I want to get at. I, yeah. I don't really want to talk about the specific. I think that for. It's hard. It's hard for me to to say that they're really doing a disservice because I think that it has been a really beneficial thing. I I know I I work with a lot of people who who love the skim and who read it every day, and some of those people are are more inquisitive and go deeper, and some of them don't. And you know I I don't think. I don't think either approach is necessarily wrong, but I know that, you know, I, I know that if it's making, I, I guess my general thought is that if it's making people more curious and inquisitive, like, I think I'm probably willing to accept some tone deafness about, I mean... Chelsea Manning stuff seems like it's a pretty complicated, a pretty complicated situation that it's very hard to treat delicately, in the amount of uh, electronic real estate that the skim takes up, and I, I, I think I'm maybe more inclined to give them a bit of a pass for that. Um, it's it's a it's a bad example in the sense that it is not what frustrates me the most. What frustrates me the most is they they so often just try to try to show both sides all the time, and we are in a moment where it's really hard to make an argument for certain sides, and you just look like right. you look like you're welcoming and normalizing things that are just kind of objectively not okay. That's that's where my frustration comes. I that's suppose. fair. It's another another entry in the long the long debate between objectivity and balance. Which I'm sure we've talked I mean we talked about we had a whole flipping episode on on essentially on that uh on that yeah. distinction when we talked about the news. Um okay. Uh, yeah, well, can you balance us out here so that we can get away from my frustrations? Maybe, maybe something a little livelier and happy. Yeah, I, I think we can do that. I'm, but I'm glad, I'm glad you talked about this because it, it's something that that had been weighing on me a little bit too. Um, and, and frankly, I didn't know that you were, uh, you you still read it, and, and so I'm I'm glad we, we I, got I'm, to, I'm to a, chew up a few seconds of time talking bi- about it. I'm a big proponent of perspectives, even ones that I yeah. don't necessarily agree with, and. Uh, Curiosity is very important to balance out those perspectives. Agreed. Um, okay, so we'll close the show with a uh, big idea from pop culture, um, and and for me, it's been uh, you know this weekend I've been doing a lot of kind of getting started packing to to move in a couple weeks, and so I've been on the hunt for kind of background entertainment. 
while I do that. And the thing that has been uh, supporting me through this endeavor um, has been a series on uh, the comedy streaming service CISO, which I'm currently free trialing, um, called What's Your Fucking Deal? And it's hosted by this comic uh, named Big J Okerson. And the whole the whole show is nothing but uh, crowd work. So it's essentially improv, but you have stand-ups who are, you know, making observations about the people in the audience and sort of riffing back and forth with them. And there's somebody up on stage, and then there's like a, a host who sort of weaves through the crowd with a microphone to facilitate the conversations. And it's just, it's funny as hell. Um, hmm. and, and it's, you know, I, it, it's a, it's kind of, it's one of those cool things where like the, you know, the comics are saying things that are, are, are on their face, often pretty risque and insensitive, but, the the people in the crowd like they know i mean they they signed up for it essentially so so everyone you know no, nobody takes it too seriously nobody gets overly sensitive about it and everyone just sort of you know it takes the event for what it is and as such they're all enjoying it greatly um but there's there's an episode where uh this group um does does it in musical form uh, and it, it's incredible to watch uh a guy play a piano and somebody play the saxophone and be sort of the color guy all while a third comedian is the front man and is like you know poking fun at people in the crowd in song just extemporaneously created song um so that that's something that I've been enjoying greatly this weekend. Oh, that's a that's a thing. Comedy and musicals, things I don't normally do, <laughs> but are for for others. And I'm glad they gave you you pleasure. Fair enough. Uh, so if you are inclined towards comedic things and are interested in checking out CISO, I would recommend. What's your fucking deal? Uh, at the time, though, I, I don't know how long it will continue this way. Uh, that episode I was referring to is the first episode of season two, and it is on YouTube in its entirety. Um, so maybe we'll throw that up on the show page. Oh, nice. We'll have lots of stuff um, this week. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, on that note, that's the end of the show. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Pretty okay Pod. Or at our home on the web, prettyokpod.com. We got every episode of the podcast there, as well as all the writing that's being done by. Uh, I feel like the the site's pretty much being held up at this point by Pierce and Ian. Um, we got we got new stuff coming. I'm c- cooking it good. up, mixing it up. Excellent. Um, yeah. Every once in a while, I'm yes, Max, I'm like checking that. in with uh, the Link Stravaganza and and running down some some things that I think you'd enjoy reading on the web. Um, and then, uh, Max has lots of content, but he's apparently from what he's pantomiming, he uses a typewriter. So it's very hard to put that up on the internet at this time. 
will, will you send me your manuscripts, please? Yeah, send, I'll mail them to you. Yeah, they, they actually they send actually, it by owl if you want. I don't give a shit. Well, PO box five five five. Just get just get them to me. Um, and and so so Ian's uh, song of the week has moved from Friday to Wednesday, um, and then Pierce uh, kind of goes up whenever he's uh, whenever he's got a shot to shoot. Um, or 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 you know punches to throw or or you know. Right, somebody's got hands to catch. Pierce is yeah. there to give them. Um, so yeah, so you can get every episode of the podcast there, uh, or you can subscribe on iTunes, um, or or just about anywhere else you get podcasts. Uh, I don't think we're on Stitcher, uh, but I know that I I use Pocket Casts, and we're there. Um, Overcast as well. Um, so yeah, uh, we're we're out there, uh, and if you like the show, we would really appreciate if you would leave us reviews, uh, comments, or, or even if you just told a friend about the show. Um, we will be back again next week to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. Max. Thanks for listening.